all good jay this is almost back to back like the tampa bay lightning here so we're, we're you know people wanted they loved you know the last episode so let's get to this one well we're on a little bit of a hot streak here we uh, willie mitchell <laughs> was a phenomenal episode yes. sean dersey very uh very thoughtful in his answers and then uh we got back on the horse and cal peterson gave us a great episode episode yep. 98 and now for episode 99 uh, i know we had some people that were hoping that wayne gretzky was going to be the guest for episode <laughs> 99 and i don't want to let anybody down but i think that we have a very timely guest who's joining us he's only been a member of the la kings for about a week now joining us will be victor Ardvidson in the second period and we uh, have a whole slew of questions for him db but before we do, I want to welcome everybody because we are recording this episode. We're coming to you live from beautiful Southern California and the Bud Holloway Studios. Wow. Now, DB, I know you've been in L.A. long enough to know Bud Holloway. Oh, yeah. A prospect that many loved but just couldn't break through here for sure. Well, and part of that might have been his own doing. So let me just set the table for those that uh, are maybe some newer Kings fans or don't remember uh, Bud Holloway. So uh, he was drafted in the third round of the 2006 NHL draft. That would have been the first draft after Dean Lombardi took over just a couple of weeks prior to that. He came from the uh, Seattle Thunderbirds, which is also interesting because uh, the following year, uh, Lombardi and crew went back to the well, and they selected another player, Thomas Hickey, from the Seattle Thunderbirds. But uh, Holloway, uh, after his time in the WHL, he signed his entry-level contract. He played three years in the minors, most of that with the Manchester Monarchs, but he did also spend 23 games with the then-ECHL Ontario Reign during the 08-09 season. And uh, there in Manchester, uh, his final year, he had 28 goals for 61 points in 78 games. And as the rumor has it, uh, as the tale goes... <laughs> Uh, young Bud Holloway, George, that is, Bud Holloway, wanted a one-year, excuse me, a one-way deal, and uh, Lombardi was offering a two-way deal, which he wanted no part of. He had some bigger money offers on the table coming from overseas, so Holloway opted to go overseas. He's had a lot of success over there. Yes. Uh, he mm-hmm. played four seasons, and then uh, primarily in the Swiss League, I believe, and or Sweden uh, for three, and then Swiss for one, if I remember correctly. Uh, but then he came over. Then the Habs signed him. He did finally sign that two-way deal. It just wasn't with L.A. It was with Montreal. He only played one game for the Canadians, D.B., spent most of the year or the whole year in the American Hockey League um, and uh, didn't break through, and then he went back over. He played the KHL. He played Sweden. He played Austria. And while he was over there, he did play with Victor Arvidsson, our guest today, so we'll have to ask Victor um, about that. The reason I bring it up, though, DB, is kind of two reasons. Number one, obviously, there's the connection there uh, that he was a former teammate of our guest today. Sure. But also, he really is one of the real what-ifs of summer 2011. There were 
two things that happened one year prior to the Kings winning their Stanley Cup in 2012 that we could do a whole show around of what ifs. One of them, of course, was Bud Holloway. What, what if he did sign? If he had signed right. a deal in the summer of 2011 and come into training camp, would he have made the Kings coming out of training camp for the 11-12 season? And even if he didn't, would he eventually have been called up? Because remember, uh, Dwight King and Jordan Nolan right. ended up as the two guys that were called up after Sutter took over mid-year. Well, maybe Bud Holloway would have been the guy that was called up, and maybe he would have won a Stanley Cup with the L.A. Kings that year. Of course, the other what if, we've joked about it many times, uh, you know, sometimes you just don't feel safe on the mean streets of Manhattan Beach. Ryan Smith (laughs) requested a trade, well, more like demanded a trade, uh, to only one team, which really, you know, cut off Lombardi's legs, if you will. Uh, Ryan Smith wanted to go back home to Edmonton on June 26th of 2011. He goes back to Edmonton. One year later, the Kings win the Stanley Cup, and the guy who scored the first goal in the Stanley Cup final in 2012 was? Uh, Frazier. Colin Frazier, which, of course, is who they acquired from uh, Edmonton in that deal. So you just wonder if Ryan Smith had stuck around for another year, what would have happened? Where would he have played? How would it all have played out? And uh, even would they have traded for Jeff Carter? You know, you just start to think about how different things could be. There was a movie like this one time. I think it was called Sliding Doors or something like that, where, mm-hmm. you know, if you go left instead of going right, all of right. these little decisions that we make every single day on the way to get coffee or uh, recording our podcasts or, or whatever it might <laughs> right. be, Dennis, that, that summer of 2011, people don't talk about it enough. They talk about 2012, but of course. DB, two yeah. things right there in 2011. What do you make of that? Yeah, well, I agree. They, they probably don't win. It's as simple as that, John, right? If, if you're telling me you kept Ryan Smith and didn't trade for Jeff Carter, No. They don't win the titles. I don't think so. It's it's not the same player, and so you know, really, destiny took hand, and now there's there's two banners up at the top of uh, Staples Center. I mean, I mean, they still might have traded for Jeff Carter. Who knows? But uh, you would have had Ryan Smith, which would have been another threat there in the in the top six, or maybe even in the top nine. And you would have potentially had Bud Holloway instead of having Dwight King and uh, and Jordan Nolan. And certainly, King and Nolan were contributors. Uh, you know, once they were called up from Manchester, so it's very interesting. Yeah, it is. Well, I think with Jordan Nolan and Dwight King, the bigger, more physical team, Bud was a, more of a skilled player. So the team would have had a really different look. And I'm not sure how Bud Holly would have meshed with uh, Daryl Sutter anyway. <laughs> Again, things that we'll never know. Uh, but Daryl has certainly stopped returning my text. So um, <laughs> we'll see when we can get him on the program. But uh, look, uh, numerology, we don't have a lot of numerology to get to because ironically, uh, uh, Ardvidsson comes to Los Angeles having worn number 33. Uh, we'll, we'll talk to him during the interview. We'll see if we can get out of him what number he's going to wear in L.A. But sure. uh, if it is 33, we just covered that in the recent Willie Mitchell episode. <laughs> right. So everybody already knows about 33, although certainly interesting because when we were talking to Willie, he was talking about the power of 33 as a number and that he had done mm-hmm. some research about it and whatnot and what a great number it, it is for a player. And he would, he was sort of wishing good things for, for young Toby Bjornfoot uh, if he was to wear that number. So I think Arvidsson has 38 as a potential backup number. We'll have to get into that with him. Uh, but sure. Dennis, before we bring him in, Timely topic. The Stanley Cup has been awarded. Uh, you ended yep. up changing your plans due to weather, and you ended up not going to Tampa, unfortunately. But uh, any thoughts at all about Tampa winning the Cup uh, illegally? As, uh, or what are fans saying? Huh. They broke all the rules. It's such nonsense. But um, I wanted to get your hot take on, on Tampa winning the Cup and going back-to-back. Yes. I chose not to fly overnight into an eye of a hurricane, Helsa. Good call. So I chose that. Good call. I think that was a good call. <laughs> 
Best team won, John. I, I think that you look at the way they built and people want to whine about refereeing and the salary cap. I want to give you one other example, John, about like why the salary cap isn't the reason this team won or going over it. Like, Vasilevsky was a first-round pick, right? But he wasn't Tampa Bay's first-round pick. Tampa Bay Lightning back in the day, I think it was Stevie Eisenman, traded Steve Downey for a first-round pick. And with that first-round pick, they picked Andre Vasilevsky. So please don't whine about salary. And please don't tell me how not having Kucherov the entire season and being a three-seed is an advantage. They traded for cap space. You want to blame somebody I said before? Blame the Ottawa Senators. They traded him Gabryk, Marion Gabryk, and Anders Nilsson and gave them over $7 million worth of cap space so they could go over and use the LATIR money uh, to bring back uh, Kucherov. If you want to talk about having a salary cap in the postseason, then fine. But every team has this, can play by the same rules. And I, I was on with Steve Coolius earlier in the week, interviewed Billy Guerin. I asked him, I said, look, I'm not going to ask you to comment specifically about you know, uh, what Dougie Hamilton said, $18 million over cap, but just your feelings is the things that to be changed. And Billy Guerin said they didn't break any rules. So I don't know what the problem is. Everybody's operating. If you want to change the system, it's a guy like Billy Guerin, who's a general manager, who has the power to change the system. If they want to tweak it and say, no, salary cap's got to abide in the postseason, then fine, I'm fine. But, you know, John, it's sour grapes. This team was clearly a great team. They traded first-round picks to get David Savard and Barkley Goudreau. You know, it, you know, it just they signed Johnny Gord as a free agent, uh, unrestricted. Anybody could have had them. So there's so many different reasons why this team won. And, John, now we can have the conversation about this being one of the best teams in the salary cap era. Remember, not only the back-to-back, they had 128 points the prior year, yet they got knocked out by Columbus, and I think over 100 the year before. So for four years, this has been a dominant team. They deserve to win it. No problem with Vasilevsky. Uh, winning the the uh, the and but my Smythe winner off of last night's interviews. If I don't know if you saw Nikita Kucherov, <laughs> oh, you saw Kuch, yeah, that was. But the, you know what, John, the guy didn't play for six months. He had major surgery. You know, so please give these guys a break. We should celebrate the guy going in there. And they, oh, he's disrespectful of of the of the of the Montreal crowd. He's disrespectful of Flurry and and Hellebuck and Gary Bettman didn't you know mention the Montreal organization or just stop crying stop whining you know one thing john it's just we're now getting to the point where we're going to have an 82 game regular season we're going to have going back to the old you know uh, uh divisions and the old conferences and to me that's the most exciting thing we're finally getting back to normal time so tampa deserved it montreal gave a good effort but clearly the best team won this time around yeah, show me the rule that they broke because they didn't yeah. break a rule. So Thank for you, all John. these people that are complaining, they didn't break any rule. And here's the funny thing, too. If your team had done the exact same thing, you would have no problem with it. So yeah. it is sour grapes, like you said. It, it, it's a bit ridiculous. And uh, I, I would also echo your comments uh, about Kucherov in the in the postgame. Man, this is what we want, right? We want totally, players John. to speak their mind. We want them to not say all of the you know, buttoned-up, uh, cliche answers. We want them to, to do these things. That's that's what we love. So know, celebrate the fact that he did it, right? And uh, I, you, you said something there about, I didn't even know this. So people are upset that Bettman didn't acknowledge Montreal. I, I missed yes. that that uproar. Because uh, so usually he congratulates that. the other team and the other Fine. organization to do that. I mean, just please, you nitpick. I mean, uh, sour, great. I mean, look, I know there's a lot of people upset in Montreal right now, but... I mean, John, come on. Let's be real here. We just want to cancel everybody because they don't. They they you know they left out or omitted something like they, 
that, that that's the time you want to criticize when the, everybody's gathered around the cup and you're about to award right. the greatest trophy in sports. That's what you want to pick on. It's don't, to me, it's just ridiculous. Like social media is ridiculous. And John, what about the people? Well, I'll ask you. Do you want to eliminate the handshake at the end? Why of the- would I ever want to? Wait, wait who's starting John, to start that? John, Why would I want to eliminate the handshake? Okay, well, there are people out there that, that think that the handshake should be eliminated. Why? Because the the losing team has to stand on the ice and and watch yeah. the other team celebrate before they handshake. John, it's just ridiculous. And also, come on, yeah, I, John. I'm just no, what's you. the reason though? Is it has anybody given a reason why they want to cancel the handshake? This is the first time hearing of well, it. We'll talk, you know, I'll research it, but I'm sure there are a couple of writers out there that have said that, and I'll, I'll research why, and we can talk about that on the next okay. KTOP. But yes, there are people that want to eliminate the, the handshake after series are over. No, I, I, I'll take you one step further, DB. Good I want to see handshakes after every game. I love the handshake. I love, yeah. I love after these guys go to war with each other and do battle that then they have the sportsmanship to do that. It's one of the things I love about the UFC. You see yep. a great fight, and at yep. the end of a fight, one guy won, one guy lost, and they, they hug it out. And even guys that talked a lot of smack to build the hype for the... We're going to see it this Saturday night, DB. You're yep. talking about a trilogy. You're talking for about a sure. fantastic fight. Dustin yep. Poirier, Conor McGregor. And at the end of that fight, they, and there's been plenty of trash talk over the years between those guys. They've had their highs and lows of their relationship. <laughs> but uh, when it's all over, and after McGregor beats him, there's going to be a hug. Oh, uh, you're calling the it. Of the game. <laughs> I'm calling it right now. Are you call, you're Connor. calling Conor? Oh, you are. Yeah. Okay. You, you, what, what it is is this. Uh, he had a lot of reasons, I think, to uh, to lose the last fight, and that's just okay. Connor. He doesn't always keep his eye on the ball. But there's one thing that I would never question about Connor McGregor, and it's his pride. He has a tremendous yeah. amount of pride. Sure. And um, he's been able to avenge previous losses like he did with Nick Diaz and so on, sure. or Nate mm-hmm. Diaz. Uh, I just don't think that Connor is going to allow himself to go out of this trilogy with a loss. And I, I would be, I'd be pretty shocked by it. So, well, so yeah, well, I, don't ever, I don't ever doubt Conor McGregor. Yeah, well, talk about trilogies. Uh, the following weekend, I'm going to be in Vegas for a boxing trilogy with respect to uh, uh, Tyson Fury and uh, Deontay Wilder. So I'm going to be at that fight. So that's going to be fun as well. But, uh, yeah, so, yeah, John, it's, I, I, you know, it, it's the traditions that we have in the sport. It, it's, it's why the sport's so great, right? I mean, Yes. When you look at the trophies and the history of the sport and you look at the Stanley Cup, it's just you want to eliminate traditions. Is that what you want to do? You just want to erase the past? Like you want to cancel okay. the stuff? I need stuff? to know why, yeah. DB. I, need, I really need you to research okay. this. Why research do people this. want to ca- – what, what is wrong with the handshake that is causing people to want to cancel it? That is, that is mind-boggling yeah. to me. Okay. Well, I mean, I'll get back to you and talk about it. Like, yeah. I don't agree with, but I understand that people want, like, the Blackhawks logo changed and things like that, sure. right? Mm-hmm. But at least I understand why and where they're coming from. But I, I, I can't think off the top of my head a reason why somebody would want the handshake to be canceled, other than the fact that the, that the losing team has to stand there and watch. But you know what? I think that's good. I, I, I mean, you look in the eyes of those guys that lose the cup. They are soaking in yeah. every minute of that, and that's yeah. part of learning how to lose before yep. you learn how to win. That's, it's point. right there. Yep. So, and, and I love, like, like in this, like, like with Vasilevsky and Price talking to each other. And the series before when Vasilevsky and, and um, uh, the guy on, on the Islanders, the other Russian goalie, uh, I forget his, his name. Um, Samsonov? Uh, no, uh, Varlamov. Not Samsonov. Right. Yeah, Varlamov, sorry. Varlamov, or, like, we're, we're, you know, we're talking after the games. And, you know, when the Swedish guys, you know, switch shake hands. It just, there's camaraderie. I mean, they, they fight and they... You know, they go at each other, but at the end of the day, hey, great series, congratulations, you know, you guys did great, you know, so it's, I think it's it's a wonderful tradition that should never go away. 
Okay. Did you see my tweet last night? Maroon and four. Did you? Yep. Did you see? <laughs> no, okay. I didn't. I that was uh... no, no, no. What'd you th- I missed that one. Maroon and four. It's the sun, it's the Suns guy. You know, Suns and four. Oh yes, I saw that, John. Yes, yeah. picture of him. <laughs> yes, yes. Maroon for four. Uh, <laughs> and Pat Maroon watching him skate around the ice and soak it all in. And the the fans who came up to the glass that had the signs for him. Yes, uh, yes. It was it was a, a Pat trick. They wanted a Pat trick. That was great. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, a lot of good stuff. Love the fans. Uh, yeah, DB, but, let's yeah. let's. Uh, oh, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. I just say you know the best team won without question. And now look, yeah. it's going to be a very different team next year. They got, they're going to lose Donald Johnson. I think that the expansion draft. I think they're going to have to trade another four like Palat, so it's going to be different, but uh, just a great team. And you know what? One one final thing. John Cooper saying, I just stood there and chew gum. What a coach, man. Like, just to give credit, full credit, and just be deferential like that. He is a great coach, but that comment to me, it just, it, it, it truly gives a measure of a man like that. Yeah, uh, I, I am. Unfortunately, I had my phone charging and my my volume was off when he was calling me from the ice there. So um, <laughs> I was I wasn't able to pick up. But uh, maybe next time. Next time. Sorry, Coop. Next Coop. <laughs> <laughs> sorry, sorry, Coop. Uh, I did text him an apology after the fact. But uh, moving on, DB, uh, before we bring in Victor Arvidsson here in just a moment, yeah. I do want to mention he was selected at the 2014 NHL draft and uh, it was in the fourth round. So, of course, the L.A. Kings had a shot at him in previous mm-hmm. years because he was uh, passed over a couple times. But even in 2014, this they had a shot the- at him. DB, just wanted to mention, in the third round that year at the draft, they took Michael Amadio, which is a player that we've talked about many, many times. So you mentioned, or we mentioned earlier, what ifs. Well, uh, at the 2014 draft, what if they would have selected Mm. Victor Arvidsson instead of Michael Amadio? How would that have played out? Uh, That was not a particularly good draft year, so uh, apologies to uh, Mark Unetti and everybody else who's listening right now. Uh, The 2014 NHL draft for the LA Kings, starting in the fourth round, they took names like Steve Johnson, Alec Dillon, uh, Jake Marchment, and a number of other players. So that would be one of the down years. I mean, obviously, if you look at the track record of the LA Kings, they have had a a phenomenal success at the draft. And the second Mm -hmm. round, most specifically, has been kind of their sweet spot. So uh, probably a couple of the scouts are uh, disappointed. Uh, While they love Victor Arvidsson, maybe they're a little disappointed that uh, a second round pick was gone in the deal. But a good deal for LA. We talked about that uh, when we were on the program the other day, DB. Enough of us. Let's get to the break. On the other side, we have Victor Arvidsson joining us here on Kings of the Podcast. Shed a tear cause I'm missing you I'm still alright to smile Girl, I think about you every day now Was a time when I wasn't sure You set my mind Welcome back. Second period Kings of the podcast. And we're excited now to be joined by the newest member of the LA Kings, Victor Arvidsson. Vic, how are you doing today? Uh, great. Uh, thank you for having me. Well, we appreciate you joining us. First question out of the gate. Let's uh, let's talk about the pronunciation. A lot of times when players come over from Sweden or from other European countries here in North America, we are saying it wrong. So give us the correct pronunciation. How do you want us to pronounce your full name? 
Victor Arvidsson. <laughs> so there's nothing unique or special about it. Um, how about a, how about a nickname or anything? I know they were calling you RV there in uh, in Nashville. Is that is that the official nickname, or do you have a better one? No, that's kind of the name I got when I moved over, I guess, to the states. Uh, that's what I was called in Milwaukee too. So when I played there, so it's just been with me since I came came to the states. Okay, so that's the nickname then. Yeah. Um, how about a little bit of uh, context and groundwork? How did you find out about the trade to LA? Did you sort of know that Nashville was going to be up against it from an expansion draft perspective? Um, just give us a little bit of background when you found out, how you found out, and all that sort of good stuff. Uh, uh, I I woke up uh, at like six o'clock and I had gotten a text from my agent. That was kind of it, and then he said something was was going to happen or there was something going on, and I kind of. It wasn't official then, but I kind of, kind of had a feeling that something would happen, and he did too. So, and and then then I got a call from from Nashville first, and and they they told me they dealt me to LA. So that's just kind of kind of the how I it got official, and that's that's about it. And then after that, I, I talked to 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 Rob Blake and 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 Luke Robitaille and and people in the LA organization and. And uh, from there, it's been it's been it's been great to be a part of, of the LA Kings. Okay, so the the most important question of the interview, we have a full slate of questions to get to, but the number one thing that people are asking about Victor is your jersey number. You obviously wore number thirty three uh, over it with Nashville here in LA. Uh, one of your countrymen has actually been wearing that number at least this season. Um, have you talked to him? Have you offered him a steak dinner? Have you have you secured number thirty three yet? Uh, yeah, we've talked a little bit and, uh, yeah, he was, he was kind enough to, to hand it over to me and we, we, uh, I, I, uh, we're going to see what I'm, I'm going to do for him, but, uh, it's, uh, it was really nice of him to, to, uh, from Toby to, to hand him 33, to hand me 33. So, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll. We'll figure something out for him. Now, now hold on. We're not going to let you off the hook that easy. I mean, I think you have something in mind already that you're going to do. You're getting him a Rolex? You're buying him a car? What are you doing? Uh, we'll see. I don't know yet. Uh, it, it will be something good. Uh, I haven't really figured it out yet, but it, it'll be something good. He's uh, he's a great, great guy and, and a great young prospect for the Kings. So uh, it'll be something good to feel that he, he, he gave me something that means a lot to me. So that was good. So I want to talk a little bit about uh, the natural season. It's a really poor start. There were some train rumors, Ekholm, Forsberg. The team turned it around, and you got hot and made the postseason. Like, what changed for the team in that time between the poor start and you guys getting to the postseason? Uh, I don't know. We had – it was it was tough for sure. Uh, I think we started pretty good. The year started out pretty good. We won – uh, four of the f- four of the first six games, and we we kind of kind of then got into a slump, and after that we got a lot of injuries, and we had to mm-hmm. go back to playing hockey where where you can be consistent and and can not give up too much defensively, and I don't think we scored a lot of goals offensively either, but we we played a game there where where everybody on the on the roster played the same way and and we we stuck to that and we 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 strung out some wins on the 16 day long road trip we had and mm-hmm. got momentum from that and 
I kind of, kind of all the guys bought into playing the same way, and and that's kind of why we got out of the slump and made it to the playoffs, and and yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, positionally, I asked you this yesterday. You can play either side. Um, are you more comfortable? Are you a better right wing or left wing? Um, and how easy is the flip sides? Yeah, I, I, I honestly don't don't care where I play. I'll, either mm -hmm. the left or the right, it, it doesn't really matter. But I play the right side a lot in my NHL career. Mm -hmm. uh, of course, it's different. You you get a lot of more passes on your backhand and, and stuff sure. like that. But uh, I think everybody in the league is good enough to catch a pass on their on their backhand side. So mm -hmm. uh, I just I just feel like it, it doesn't really matter. Uh, you get a little bit more options when you enter the zone if you're on the left side and uh, if you're a right-handed shot. So mm -hmm. same thing if you're on the right side with, with the left hand. So it's it's a little bit different, but uh, for me, it doesn't matter. One more position question. We're going to assume you play on the Kings' first power play. Where on the ice are you most comfortable on the power play? Uh, I like the net front. Uh, I think if when, when the puck comes in there, I, I like to – to be around there and, and, and cause some chaotic, chaotic situations and screen goaltenders and tip pucks and stuff. Uh, so I, I enjoy playing there and and I enjoy being being where where the puck comes. Where usually on the power play, the puck comes to the net. Victor, have to ask you about this. DB just alluded to the media call that you did with Los Angeles yesterday. Now I don't speak Swedish, but if I understood the question correctly. Somebody asked you about country music in Nashville compared to gangster rap in Los Angeles. What was the question and what was the answer? I've been dying to know for the last 24 hours. <laughs> uh, he asked me about um, just uh, which music I was into and if I was uh, wanted re uh, rather listen to, to country music or, or uh, hip-hop uh, or rap. So, But I said I, I, I listened to pretty much everything and I... I mostly listen to to Swedish pop music, so yeah, that kind of kind of was the answer in the question. So now give you, us now give you, us one band then a Swedish pop band so that it's on our radar. Give give us the name of a band. A uh, band uh, or a pop artist, whoever, whatever, whatever. Somebody from Sweden that you're listening to. A uh, new kid. New kid. Yeah. Okay, we'll look it up. Yep. So, Victor, um, Zoom calls, the media, last couple of years, no media in the locker room. Like, just your feelings about doing calls like this and not having media in the locker room the last couple of seasons? Uh, it's for sure different. Uh, yeah, I kind of, I kind of enjoy, like, I don't, I don't care about it. Like, media in the locker room or Zoom calls, it's, it's just uh, a different feeling, I guess. But, of course, it's nice to, at the end of practice, just, have your interviews and then you can get out and instead of sitting down and, and having to do it over media and over over the phone and have disconnections and stuff and it gets more personal i guess with with people in the locker room and sure and you get to really get to know the people you're talking to so i guess it's it's probably a lot better to have it uh, in the locker room now when you first uh, were traded 
we spend the next hour or two or 10 uh, feverishly doing research to learn all about you. I've learned a number of different interesting things about you. And one of them that stood out to me was the fact that you've scored 10 goals against the Sharks in 12 games. You scored more goals against San Jose than any other team, which is certainly odd considering that you haven't played in the Pacific Division. So what is it about uh, San Jose that you've had so much success? I don't know. Hey, I, I... Victor, we lost you there for a second. Oh, can you hear me now? Yes, we yeah. can. Sorry about that. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, I've asked myself myself the same question I just said. Uh, <laughs> uh, but I, I think some teams you just feel good playing. And I, I, I think I scored that overtime goal against San Jose my first year in, in the playoffs in game six. And that brought us to game seven. And I, I feel like maybe that moment just brings me back that memory and I, I feel good playing them. I, I, I assume that's the that's the reason, but I I think every player has a team that they they like to play more than any other like other teams. Now, uh, some of the other stuff that we found out about you, um, you had a baby during uh, the pandemic or during the last year or so. Just tell us what's that's what that is like. I'm sure that would be maybe one of the positives of uh, being away from hockey for for that year, having some time at home with the new baby. Yeah, awesome, uh, great feeling, uh, becoming a, a father for the first time, and uh, it was, uh, it was, uh, it was really, really amazing. And uh, it's been, it's been pretty, pretty good, like sleeping wise and stuff. I've, I've slept a lot, and my wife too, and she's, she's wonderful and and treats us well, and so uh, uh, really happy and and happy you, the family got to see her now when we got back to Sweden. So. Uh, they really enjoyed the time with her, so we're, we're trying to trying to do the best we can to to make to get everybody to to see her and, and meet her. So now um, you're probably tired of telling this story at this point, but it's a new story to everybody here in LA. So uh, I, I'll try to save the punchline here. But you were playing a hockey game one time, and the fire alarm went off. Can you can you share that story with us? The hockey fire alarm went off in Nashville. Uh, I don't think it was in Nashville. I think it was in Sweden, and everybody had to exit the building. Doesn't ring a bell. Oh, oh yeah, now it rings a bell. Yeah, that was. Yeah, I, 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 I thought that one might stand out for you, but apparently not. Yeah, it's a uh, normal I, thing. That was yeah, yeah. We stood outside. I remember that now. We stood outside for probably like forty-five minutes in our gear in the winter, <laughs> and it was like freezing outside, and we were standing waiting. Yeah, I remember that now. That's pretty funny. And all the fans came outside too. So, did yeah, they have yeah, the team at least like quarantined, or were like fans coming over and wanting selfies with you while you're standing out there? What was going on? No, we we stood like right outside the door, and the the away team too. Like we stood talking to each other with the away team, and like, <laughs> like hanging out, and all the like the the crowd and everything. They were like around us, like we were like in the middle. So it was kind of funny. <laughs> now you mentioned it, I uh, I forgot about that part. So, oh, well, I, I went deep on yeah. the research here. Uh, yeah, your yeah, final yeah, two did. years in Sweden, <laughs> you played with two guys that have ties to the LA Kings organization. You played with Oscar Moeller and Bud Holloway. What can you tell us about those two guys? Uh, yeah, those were two of the guys that I looked up to when I got into the elite team in Sweden, in Skellefteå. And, uh, great buddies of mine, still is. And, and they they really took care of me when I got up there. So they're they're huge part of why I'm I'm where I'm at right now and uh, I have really good things to say about them so won two championships with them here in Sweden so 
uh, great guys, and, and I've learned a lot from them. All right, so uh, Adrian Kempe, who you played with uh, at one of the international tournaments or a couple times maybe, he's a big fashion guy. He's one of the fashion guys on the LA Kings. And you're yeah. coming from the yellow and blue of Sweden. Then you go to the yellow and blue of Nashville. Yeah. Now you're coming to LA, black, white, yeah. and silver. What do you make of that? No, it's a little more neutral, I guess, but <laughs> it's uh, it's not uh, screaming yellow and, and gold. So uh, I no, it's gonna be fun. I I'm I'm not maybe a fashion fashion guy, but uh, I'm so up north in Sweden, so <laughs> we don't need to wear nice clothes here. <laughs> I'm like in the middle of the woods. So no, but it's uh, it's gonna be fun, and and I enjoy it, and uh, I love their uniforms, so uh, it's awesome. Well, then I'm going to hold my follow-up question about that and you be not, not caring about fashion because I remember on the media call you were saying that you and your family had not decided where to live yet. But once you get settled in Southern California and once Kempe is in your ear every day about fashion, we'll see if you uh, turn maybe into more of a little bit of a fashionista uh, during the first season here in Los Angeles. Yeah, maybe I will. We'll, we'll see. He'll probably learn me a thing or two about uh, how, how I should dress in, in L.A. So that'd be, that'd be fun. Now, you did mention on the call, I believe, that you texted uh, Kempe or you called him the day after the trade. I'm just curious, how many other LA Kings players at this point have you spoken to? Anybody besides Kempe and, of course, besides uh, Bjornfoot, who you mentioned? Yeah, a couple of guys. Um, uh, Kopitar reached out and, and welcomed me and, and, and some of the, the, uh, the trainers and, and the equipment staff and stuff like that and some other players too so it's uh it's been a warm welcome and uh, i'm really happy and excited to to get get over there and, and start start the, the season now i know you love sweden but uh kopi does live in one of the more beautiful places on the planet and uh he's over there right now hosting his academy his his uh his camps for the children did he offer you at all to come and you know hang out for a couple of days before you make your way to la uh, he hasn't, no, <laughs> not yet. <laughs> I'm still waiting. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but he, he seems like an awesome guy. Uh, I actually met him uh, uh, last season on the on the bye week, so in Turks and Caicos, and I talked to him a little bit there. So he uh, seems like a great guy. Wait a minute. During the bye week, you're somewhere, he's somewhere, and you guys just run into each other just randomly? Yeah, he was there uh, earlier, uh, and... Uh, he, he went a couple of days because he was going to the all-star game. Mm -hmm. So I guess they got out earlier and uh, I met, we used to walk past each other on the beach and I, you said hello and, and talked for, for a little bit. So how does that work? Does he recognize you or you recognize him? I don't know. I think we recognize, <laughs> probably I recognize him because he's, a, <laughs> he's an all-star. <laughs> he's also a big guy too. He's, he's pretty yeah. tall too. So <laughs> you can't, you can't miss him. Uh, yeah. Now, I'm curious. You were, as a 21-year-old rookie, you scored 22 goals in the American League. You led the team in points. Is that when you kind of said, hey, I think I can make it here in North America, or no, not yet? I don't know. I think I had the mindset coming over here that I was going to make it. Uh, I was 21 when I came over. I was I was being passed up in, in three drafts. Uh, I I went through a lot of adversity, and I just had the mindset that I was, if I'm going over here at 21 years old, I'm going to, I'm going to try to make it right away. And, and that was my mindset. And of course, after Milwaukee year and I was up for, I don't know, first year I was up for a couple of games and played and I felt like I could, I could, I could be, be a part of the NHL. So for sure it's, it was, it was a 
it was a feel out year where I, I felt really good going into the next year and, and trying to make the team. Victor, it's as if you were reading right off of my notes. My very next question was about you being passed over in those drafts. I'm very curious about that. You were the oldest player taken at the 2014 NHL draft. Like you said, you had been passed over for a couple of drafts. How? I don't want to first talk about the chip that you had on your shoulder after. I want to talk about the couple of years leading up to that point because when you get passed over the first time, you know, everybody probably told you, hey, it's no big deal. You'll get drafted next year. Just come back, you know, be stronger. But then it happens again. Like, how did you uh, uh, mentally or emotionally sort of deal with that year after year after year? And by the time it came to 2014, were you kind of over it? Or, or did you did you still want to get drafted at that point? Honestly, I was kind of over it <laughs> in 14. <laughs> I, I actually watched the two drafts um, before that where I got passed and, uh, actually, me, my wife, and, and her dad was sitting in the couch and, and watching the first bit of the second round. And I, I just said, "No, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna leave." So I went over to Buddy, and right when I walked up the staircase, uh, my brother calls me and like, oh, "You got drafted by by Nashville?" And I said, "No, no, I didn't." And, and, <laughs> and <laughs> it was true. I walked up to my buddy and had it on, and and there my my face was right on the screen and i'm like oh i guess i guess <laughs> finally i got drafted so kind of a funny story but uh, uh it's uh it of course it was tough and and but i had great people around me that that always uh, like wanted the best for me and 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 encouraged me to keep going and stuff and i did and, and it paid off at the end and and, and I, i'm here now and i i couldn't be more happy for or what I do and and what what people will do for me so it's it's awesome every player has their own journey right whether you come from the OHL or whether you come from college or you come over from Europe and I'm just curious when you play in these international tournaments and you're playing with either young NHL players who are on the team with you or even younger prospects that are in Europe in Sweden that are hoping to be drafted what are some of the questions that they ask you about the process that you you know uh, went through uh they yeah it's like it's different for sure but uh, they just they just want to know like how my how how my mindset was uh during like i just said like during the years i didn't get drafted and how i i came out of it and how i how i thought about like being passed up and i just i just knew that like certainly my size was a was a matter of indecisiveness from from the teams and i i just had to prove that i could play against bigger players and stronger players and play like i was 20 and 19 at that age like at that time and i just said to myself that i i needed to to show them that i can compete with with bigger defensemen and bigger bigger guys and older guys and at in, in the last year of that, that that 21 year i when i was 21 uh, i i think I proved that and that's why I, I got taken in the draft so now look anybody can look up your goals on hockey db or on the nhl stats page or whatever people know that you're a prolific goal scorer you put up points as well um but in talking to several nhl defensemen after the draft the one thing that kept coming up over and over again was the fact that you're hard to play against that's what guys wanted to talk about you're slippery you're hard to play against is that something that you've taken a lot of pride in when you hear that that, that other nhl or not other but that nhl defensemen think that you're hard to play against yeah, yeah, absolutely. That's that's my game. I feel like I I do score goals and I, I love to score goals, but 
I think uh, my my work ethic brings me to score goals and my tenaciousness uh, in the offensive zone and on the puck, on the forecheck and everything like that uh, takes me to the areas where I can score So uh, and gives my teammates opportunities to, to make plays and, and stuff. So that's that's always something I go into every game with that mindset to be to be hard to play against and to 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 hunt the puck every everywhere I, I am on the ice. So yeah. Well we appreciate your time for joining us today. Two more quick ones. We'll wrap this thing up. We'll let you get back to your summer. Um the first question would be I, I know that uh this is a long time ago and maybe the name doesn't mean anything to you, but perhaps the most underrated player in LA Kings history was a guy named Tomas Sandstrom. He wore number seven back in the uh, early nineties here in Los Angeles. And some players, some longtime Kings fans I should say, have uh sort of linked your style of play to a guy like Tomas Sandstrom. So I just had to ask you, do you even know who Sandstrom is? Have you ever heard the name? Uh, no. <laughs> Good try. Uh, uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, no, okay. Finnish-born player who played his, uh, came up through Sweden. But here's what we're going to do then. We're going to have you back after the summer. Uh, we're going we're gonna to give you the rest of the summer off. But we're going to have yeah. you back on Kings of the Podcast. And together, we'll do a full Tomas Sandstrom retrospective. And we'll, we'll educate you on the, the, the legendary Tomas Sandstrom. How about that? Yeah, I'm YouTubing it. Right after <laughs> <laughs> Please do. Here's the deal. Uh, in 1991, the Kings played one of their greatest playoff series of all time. It went six games with the Edmonton Oilers. Four games went to overtime. Two games went to double overtime. Craig Muni, the dirty player that he was, broke Sandstrom's leg in one of the games. And uh, he came back and uh, even scored, I believe, in that series. So he's a legendary player who, quote-unquote, did not play like a typical European player. He was a very okay. feisty player. He had a physical element to his game. And I think that's probably why people compare him to you. Somebody very hard to play against. And he was good at putting the puck in the net. So there you go. Yeah. YouTube that. Yeah, I will. Okay. My last question for you then, and we'll let you go here today, is... What's the mindset right now heading into the summer? Are you excited about the, the sort of next couple of months? I get to show up the training camp now that you kind of know, you know, your destiny and you know that you need to arrive in L.A. in mid-September. Or um, are you really just dreading the next eight weeks and it's going to just weigh on you heavily because you can't wait to get to L.A.? Which one is it? I oh, that's hard. Uh, I, I, I can't wait to get there. I. I'm really excited. My family is really excited for for being a part of the organization. And everything and it's gonna be gonna be really really fun to to get there. That's my mindset right now, and trying to get my body 100% uh, ready to to come into the season and and be a big factor on the team. Victor, outstanding first effort here on Kings of the Podcast. Hopefully you enjoyed your time, and uh, we look forward to having you back on the program next year, and we'll spend more time uh, getting to know you. All the best to you, your wife, the baby. Enjoy the, the summer, and uh, we'll see you in L.A. in September. Uh, thank you very much. Yeah, see you there. Thank okay, you. there you go. Victor Ardvidsson. We will be back after the break to talk more about that and some other L.A. Kings news.
Welcome back to the third period of Kings of the Podcast with DB and the Mayor. Here we go. Third period, Kings of the Podcast. And of course, uh, coming off of an interview, DB, my first question is always just uh, any reaction there to what we heard from Victor Arvidsson. It's a really good guy. Down to earth, had a little sense of humor. You know what, John? Swedes get it. They, they get it with respect to the media and talking. And, and I just, he sounds excited about coming over. I think he's probably got a chip on his shoulder because, you know, if you remember, Philip Forsberg putting on Instagram thumbs down, no really commenting, yes. just a thumbs down logo. So I think that uh, Victor's got a little bit of chip on his shoulder. And from what David Paul said, if you remember, that they were talking to uh, – they were talking to Ronnie Francis in Seattle, and they were going to pick him. They were going to expose him and pick him. So I think that he's probably grateful he's not going to be paying for an expansion team as opposed to L.A., which is looking to make postseason next season. So uh, just a really nice, transparent, funny guy who's uh, ready to come in and I think prove a lot of people wrong off of last season. You know, we see it so many times, DB, that when a player gets injured, people want to overreact to that immediate season coming off of some injuries or whatnot. Sometimes it just takes a little bit of time to recover from the injury. We know that he also had some issues coming off the cross check from a couple yep. years ago. So all the best to Victor Arvidsson. Uh, I, I personally, I love the uh, running into Kopi on the street story <laughs> or the beach. Yeah. It's, uh, those things are always fascinating to me when, you know, hey, hey wait, I- I'm halfway around the world. Wait a minute. You're on, you know, you're Kopitar. What are you doing here? You know, and you, uh, yeah, I think that you was, start talking and guys do that. That was the last, I think that was St. Louis, I think he flew. I think I think that uh, Uncle Phil sent the jet over from uh, to Turks and Caicos, and flew, Kopi flew in with uh, the family to St. Louis for the All Star game. Nice. Well, we've heard nice uh, life, a couple eh? of other players. <laughs> they've randomly run into each other in Hawaii. I think yes. Dustin Brown ran into a player. Probably not quite as exciting when uh, Brownie ran into me at the airport uh, for the <laughs> <laughs> when when I thought he was my Uber driver, which yes. is still funny. It's uh, <laughs> like. You know, it's midnight. Mayor? Uh, No, I didn't. No, you're not the car coming to pick me up. Who are you? He was like, no. (laughs) Oh, Dustin Brown. Sorry. I didn't realize you'd be at the airport picking somebody up. So thank you to Nicole for uh, allowing me to hitch a ride. But anyway, um, DB, I do want to give a quick personal shout out. We don't spend a lot of time talking about our personal selves on the program, but uh, I I do have to just give a quick congratulations to my son. I posted on Instagram the other day. He made the varsity uh, hockey team his high school hockey team, as a sophomore, which is pretty unbelievable. Yeah. So um, it, I think you texted me proud dad or proud papa moment yeah. or whatever. But uh, uh, yeah, it, definitely a proud moment. Um, I know how how important it was to him and, and how much he's been looking forward to this. So uh, I, I'm excited for him for this upcoming season and should be a lot of fun to continue to watch his development. Yeah, John, so, I know how uh, pro- congratulations I, to him. I know how proud you are and I know that you're there at, at a lot, not all the practices, but a lot of practices you always, you know, putting on Twitter, hashtag rinks life. And so I, I know how important it is to him, but I think it's probably as equally as important to you. So it's a great accomplishment because you mentioned making it as a sophomore doesn't really happen very often. Yeah, no, I was, uh, he kept telling me he was going to do it. And, uh, you know, I didn't want to dampen his enthusiasm, sure. but uh, I, I do try to ground him with some realism as well, <laughs> that it's not always as easy. But, you know, when you're a kid, you just, you're naive that of way. Course. You think you just... You just think you can do everything. So good good on him, though, for doing it. Uh, back to the LA Kings here. Um, the buyout window is coming up, DB. I think it's opening up right now. Uh, not expecting anything from the LA Kings perspective. They really don't have any players mm-hmm. to buy out. There was some chatter um, going around 
from fans uh, about the potential of an Ole Mata buyout. We tried to clarify that without saying it um, in the last episode, mm-hmm. though, DB, and saying that Christian Wolanin signing had nothing to do with right. Ole Mata. It was really about trying to add some depth to the organization. So without the Kings having any buyout candidates, I'm curious what you think about uh, down the five freeway in, in Anaheim. Uh, any any potential buyouts there? Adam Henrique, we saw him on waivers. What do you think about uh, going on with Adam? Yeah, maybe Adam Henrique, but John, they need, with all the youngsters they have, they need some veterans on the team. I think what will happen is they're going to expose Henrique, and maybe he gets picked by Seattle. A quality guy. I mean, I, you know, I don't know. The season went south for him a little bit, so I think that's a possibility. What happens with Ryan gets left? Is he going to go the route of Corey Perry now that his contract's up? And is he going to come back for one year, $1 million? Or does he just, just want to build chicken coops in his backyard and, and be done with it? So that's a question. So with respect to who might go, another guy is Ricard Raquel. Like, what's going to happen with him? Because he is – I don't know what happened to that stick of his. There used to be a lot of goals in it, John, and now that's just not. So I think that the, the candidate for a buyout, I don't think that you – know, with – Bob Murray being in the last year of his deal and then bringing in 24 more assistant coaches, I don't think you really want to get rid of veterans. I think, if anything, you want to add. And again, you know, Murray needs to make a signature trade, whether it's Eichel or, or somebody else. It, it, like The way the team's presently constituted, John, they're far away from a postseason. And when you're in the last year of mm-hmm. your contract, you, you want to see some movement. You want to see some progression. So I think that if I was Murray, I would be resistant with respect to trading away veterans or buying them out. I want to keep them on the team if I could and try to make a run, at least improve over last year's season. Yeah, they do need to make a big move, take a big swing yeah. to really get back into the thick of things. And, you know, they're on this collision course with the L.A. Kings, sure. and you don't want to start to lose ground, right. which is why I keep saying it is kind of like the the Yankees and the Red Sox. And it's funny because I had asked Dean Lombardi about that one time, about does he pay attention to what's going on in Anaheim as they were both on the rise? And he said, no, you know, he, he viewed hockey as a different sport, which I always find funny because he made the constant references to baseball, but he didn't view it like an arms race where they were constantly trying to, one up each other and that if the Ducks made a move that he felt the Kings needed to but I think this time around it is more similar to that Yankees Red Sox thing because both organizations have solid prospect pools they're on the up upswing and they're on this collision course to both being good and dominating the Pacific Division However, to get there, they are going to need to make some additions from the outside. They are going to need their kids to take the next step. Like you said, Murray's in the final year of his deal. He can't really afford to be patient. He needs to go now, Mm -hmm. so make that move. But I don't see a buyout in Henrique only for two reasons. One, they don't need the money. Actually, three. One, they don't really need the money, the cap space. Two, it adds so much on Going forward, I think it's six year more years that it would extend into the onto their cap. Yeah, I think it's well. If he has four left, it would extend to eight. Oh, okay, it doubles, so it's eight yeah. years more. It's I two mean, thirds of the yeah, cap hit to, for double the length of the remaining contract. Correct. Yeah. Correct. I'm sorry. So it's it's eight years, not six. So who wants him on the books for eight more years? You really don't even need at that. two million, John. I agree. No, you you just don't want that headache. But the last thing would be. Although he went on waivers and he just was whatever was going on, he wasn't clicking with the team. He was right. having a bad season. He wasn't getting along with the coach. I don't know what the reasons were, but the point is, he went on waivers. He wasn't claimed. He did have a much better second half of the season, yeah. and he performed well with Team Canada. So whatever the mojo was that he had lost, he found it again. And I would think if you're the Ducks, you go into it with one more year and try to hope that he's 
able to build on what he had in the second half of the season sure. rather than just try to, you know, move on. Uh, but to your chicken coop comment, uh, yeah, I don't think Getzloff is playing for any other team besides the Anaheim Agreed. Ducks. He'll sign a one-year, yeah. you know, one or $2 million contract. If he wanted to go anywhere, they had the opportunity to trade him at they the did, deadline. Right. Uh, Murray, had, Murray had talked to him, and he didn't want to go anywhere. So he's going to keep building chicken coops, uh, which if you don't know that joke, uh, he did a Zoom call during the pandemic, and that's what, what, what was one of the big conversations uh, that was going on at the time. So, uh, DB, before we uh, wrap things up and get done here today, I want to talk about something um, that, that is relevant and, uh, because I had put it out there a week or so ago, and I don't think we've had a chance to talk about it. The Kings are looking, from what I understand, to move Curtis McDermott mm -hmm. from defense to forward, which is great uh, in the sense that it gives them a solid 7D, the six they have right now, plus the addition of one more. So solid 7D with some other guys pushing from Ontario, including maybe like Clegg, mm -hmm. Willannon, Strand, Dursey, et cetera. Uh, and at forward, you have a little bit more opportunity. This is my take on it. You have a greater opportunity to carry him because you have two uh, extra forwards right, instead right, of just right. the one extra defenseman, right? Because that's the problem. When you Correct. go out on the road... Yeah. You need your seventh defenseman to really be available and you need him to potentially to be available to play big minutes because if your second or even your first pairing guy goes down, mm -hmm. you need your seventh guy to plug in and potentially play those big minutes. Um, at forward, you carry two extra forwards. And so, you know, you, you, you don't have to play your 14th forward as often as you might have to play your seventh defenseman. Right. And so for that reason, I think it makes sense. I think it also makes sense because you cut his minutes in half by more than sure. half, actually. If you look at what an average third pairing deep plays in a game compared to what an average fourth liner plays, you can cut his minutes down in half so you can have him available to do what he needs to do, uh, but not be on the ice as much as he was. I think it's a win-win all around because the teammates love him. They feel a sense of security having him around. He's a great culture guy, mm -hmm. uh, but playing him second or third pairing minutes on defense probably isn't in the cards next year. So a switch to forward could pay off dividends for him. It could extend his NHL career. It could pay dividends for the LA Kings. Yeah, and you look around the division, right? Ryan Reeves in Vegas, Zach Cassian in Edmonton. You need that component on your team. And I'm not going to draw a parallel to Pat Maroon just yet, but again, there, there is a room for that type of player still in this league um, if you have designs to make the postseason. So yeah, I think it's a... It's a novel idea, but it's outside the box. But, yeah, for all the reasons that you mentioned, like to have that component but not having it exposed as much uh, with respect to his deficiencies, I think it's a great experiment. We'll see if it works come training camp. Now, I just want to give a little tease here. I'm going to do a follow-up article. I've done a series of articles related to the LA Kings opening night roster. People always want to know where a guy's going to yeah. slot in, who's going to make the team, and I get a lot of names thrown at me. And in the most recent lineup projection, I had Wagner at right wing four. People were asking, well, why not Grunstrom? And so I have an explanation for all of that. And really, uh, what you're going to see is that for the final four roster spots, because essentially the Kings have about 10 names already penciled in, uh, from, you know, Kopitar, Brown, Ayafalo, Arvidsson, Kempe, uh, uh, Jod. You know, you can go down the list. Yeah. There are about 10 forwards that have already been penciled mm -hmm. in on the roster, which basically, I guess I should probably just go over them to make sure everybody's on board. So Arvidsson, Kopitar, Brown, Ayafalo, Kempe, Velarde, Byfield, Jod, Moore, Wagner. That's 10 names. Again, Arvidsson, Kopitar, Brown, Ayafalo, mm -hmm. Kempe, Velarde, Byfield, Jod, Moore, and Wagner. Those are 10 names. Now, some people would say, hold on, Wagner's not going to be on the team. They're going to they're uh, you know, get rid of him somehow. They're going to put him on waivers. They're going to do whatever. Yeah, he could be taken by Seattle. Mm -hmm. uh, he also could 
be put on waivers. Um, but let's just for argument's sake, there's 10 names that are right, right there, which leaves you with four openings. Correct. DB, for those four openings, they have 11 or 12 guys fighting yep. for those four spots. So let me just give them to you. You have Turcott, Kaliev, Kapari, Thomas, and Sammy Fagamo. So there's five right there. Turcott, Kaliev, Kapari, Thomas, and Fagamo. And even if you consider those guys and you go, look, they're not going to make the opening mm -hmm. night roster. They're all five are going to start in the American right. League. You still, for fighting for four spots, you still have Tikachev, Lazat, McDermott, mm -hmm. Lemieux, Grunstrom, Leah Sanderson, Martin Furk. There's seven right there. You could even say eight if they were able to come to an agreement with, uh, with AA, who I don't think they will. But, and if they go out and make another acquisition, Dennis, if they trade futures or right. a prospect, you're, you're now talking one about more. another guy. Right. One more, right? Now, maybe it's, a, maybe it's a bigger deal that involves you know, a Kempe or sure. maybe it involves Wagner or whatever. And who knows? Maybe Grunstrom gets taken in the expansion right. draft. Maybe Lemieux gets taken in the expansion draft. Maybe one of those guys. But you're talking about potentially seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 guys, um, not even including the prospects, not mm -hmm. even talking about Kaliev, not even talking about Turgot. Right. So you have a lot of guys available right now who are gonna be fighting for just four, probably four, maybe even three, but four mm -hmm. roster spots at forward. Uh, it's gonna make for a very, very interesting training camp. Oh yeah, for sure. And, and great, it's just too many, like, you know, it's musical chairs. There's too many bodies, not enough chairs, so we'll see it. But that, you know, you want that competition, John. The team needs it. They were 27th in offense, so they need, you know, they need to have their best 14 forward. So it's going to be really intriguing because this old and the type of player, it's all over the map. So like, what does the final roster look like? What does Rob and and Todd put together that uh, for opening night? And I agree with you. I would think that 20 games in, the roster might look a little bit different. So there, the component yes. of not having some of the prospects start in Ontario, I think, is is certainly going to happen as well. I think the other challenge there, DB, is that so much changes over the summer. Like, one, coming into training camp this year, so one year prior to this training camp, Todd McClellan, I don't believe, was probably the biggest Carl Grunstrom fan. Mm -hmm. Grunstrom goes over to Europe, plays during the pandemic, comes back into training camp, and he is, uh, you know, McClellan really likes him a lot. Mm -hmm. he's, he's praising him constantly during training right. camp. So there are any number of those different players that we just mentioned that might not today be penciled into the lineup, but they could come back into training sure. camp really impress Todd has a different impression of them and also maybe the tools that one of those players have and bring to the table. Maybe he didn't think they were needed once upon a time, but now they are needed right. or now they do compliment somebody because of how Arvidsson changes the lineup, because how this additional forward that they're probably going to acquire, how that player mm -hmm. changes the lineup. So it is like a giant jigsaw puzzle that you have to sort of put yeah. together and you need all the pieces before you can really intelligently have a conversation. And then it does make for some, some very fun debates. Uh, DB, we'll wrap it up with the expansion draft. Uh, we are coming up very quickly on July 17th, which is the expansion deadline. Are you, uh, or the list that is, the deadline mm -hmm. to submit your yes. list to the league. You, you, that's the 17th and the draft itself is the 21st. Um, I put out a number of different articles about who the Kings are likely to protect. Therefore, we know who they are likely to expose. Are you uh, ready to call your shot yet, or you still need another week? Do you know who, or do you think you know who Seattle is going to take from the LA Kings? Is it Olimata? Is it Kale Clegg? Is it Wagner? Is it Lazat? Is it uh, Ferk? Is it Austin Strand? I'm sure I'm missing a couple people, but who is it? Matt Luff. Matt Luff would be outstanding. Um, that would be that would be good for him. Yes. That would be a good a good fresh start. So you're going. Now, I have to ask you, though, uh, because we both, you know, we like Matt on a personal level. So I want to know, is that is that your personal bias towards Matt Luff? Or you think if you were the GM 
in Seattle, you think that's the best player to pluck from the Kings organization? It's a combination of both. Okay. He does have that big shot. Exactly. And we haven't seen him... Yep. Um, we haven't seen him, you know, have an opportunity on a consistent basis to show that off at the NHL level. Very, very successful at the NHL level with it. Mm-hmm. And if you think back to, um, if you think back to Vegas and the players they took, they took guys that were, you know, largely sort of lost in that middle, just yeah. waiting to have an opportunity. And you know, Cal Peterson talked about that on the last show. There are many guys around the league that just need that opportunity. And you have to wonder if Matt Luff was given a consistent role spot in the lineup. Would he be able to produce? Uh, maybe the Seattle Kraken will give him that opportunity. Yeah, I think he's, you know, he could be an offensive threat on the bottom six. So that, that's what I envision mm-hmm. him. Do I think he's going to be a top six guy if Seattle picked him? No. But you got to have offense on the bottom six. We learned that. Um, yeah, look at Tampa, right? They've got productive guys on the bottom six. So uh, that, that's, I just think that. And yeah, part of me wants to see Matt go there and, and do well and flourish as an NHL player. We all have our biases, but I think that he can be an effective player on the bottom six and give them some offense. All right. I think we'll have to play a, a game uh, before July 21st. We'll have to set the over-under. DB, put a reminder in your phone for sure. this. We're going to have to set the over-under line on how many former LA Kings are selected in the Seattle Kraken expansion draft, right? They can only select one player from the LA right. Kings. However, there are several other sure. former LA Kings that are on other teams' yes. lists that will be available. So how many former LA Kings will be picked by Seattle uh, with what I think they're going to have 30 selections then, right? Because yes. Vegas, Vegas is, is not included. Correct. So and, and so it would be 29 other teams besides the Kings. So on 29 mm-hmm. other lists of those players, how many will be former LA Kings that Seattle will take? We'll, uh, we'll go back and forth on that on Twitter sure. sometime before the expansion draft. How Sounds about that? great, Mayor. All right, DB, a fantastic episode. Thank you to Victor Arvidsson for joining us all the way from Sweden. We will see him in Los Angeles in uh, a couple more months. And uh, DB, we will be back soon. We have some more guests lined up. More Kings of the Podcast coming up soon, DB. Can't wait, Jay. Let's do it. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. She like night to talk on my love Topin' up some melamba She got bean booties on my love Vita trips to Milano Memphis cashing a blanco